You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me today, as usual, is Paul Doroshenko. Yes, but I'm a long way away. You are. I'm up near Valmont. Yep. You've uh, you've become a mountain recluse for a short period of time. Yeah, well, deep in my soul, I'm a mountain man. I may have been born and raised in Edmonton, but I spent a significant time uh, in the Robson Valley and around Valmont in my time. And uh, you and I have also traveled all over British Columbia. That's true. So it doesn't matter where I go. I feel like I'm at home. Well, I'm glad that you feel you're at home. I feel like I'm doing all your work. No, just kidding. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm just thinking about <clears throat> what's, what's, the favorite, what's your favorite part of British Columbia? You've been to lots of different places. You've been to, like, probably two-thirds of all courthouses. Me too. Um, that wasn't a hashtag me too. That was a, like, I've been to many courthouses. Um what is your favorite? I think you already know the answer. Your favorite location and favorite courthouse? Yes. Do you want me to guess? Yes. Favorite courthouse? Nelson, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, probably favorite town, Nelson, British Columbia. I don't know that Nelson's my favorite. It's up there. I think mean, it's got a lot of character. Well, what's more favorite than Nelson? Well, for courthouses, you can't beat Nelson. No. I mean, Nelson It's is been a officially ranked by, by Justin McElroy, so... Yeah, I know. And not only that, it's, um, you know, of course, there's a whole town around it that is lovely, and they made some careful decisions in the 1980s to keep their heritage part of town. Um, And the Hume Hotel, of course. Uh, But it's tough to get to, right? You know, you got to fly into Castle Gar, Cancel Gar. Now they have flights directly into Trail, but and and there's a new airport in Trail. Mm -hmm. But... um, Still, it's a you know it's a it's a long distance to get there. Yes. So it's a you know it's a bit of a downer as far as that's concerned. I like Masset, new beautiful courthouse, good Masset's airport. Good. Yeah, Masset's lots of good. friends there. I Got have friends there. I have a personal beef with the Masset Airport though. No, I know, I know, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> so let the me tell Masset you story. Airport um, me. <laughs> it doesn't snow often in Masset, um, and Kyla and I were there for. Uh, trials and it was uh, one of those things that we had so many things that we had to handle over a couple of days one in, uh well a couple in queen charlotte and then up to masset yep. and it was and i got the heavy. flu in the middle of it Kyla got the flu yeah yeah you were really sick um <laughs> and um so we're coming back and uh it was a little bit stressful at the airport because there was a ceremony in the airport uh with respect to uh um bringing back the remains of someone who who was from Haida Gwaii, who was coming back home. Then we went to leave the airport, and Kyla stood at the the front of the line to get on the airplane and took a step forward, and all of the snow on the uh, roof just covering the departure terminal (laughs) dumped on Kyla's head and down her back. Mm-hmm. It felt and, like one uh, of those moments in a cartoon, we'll you know, when somebody yeah. gets dumped on and then just their eyeballs pop out, blinking in disbelief. Yeah, that was I, me. I thought that there was going to be, <laughs> I thought there was going to be some cam- candid camera thing there that it was like timed with a celluloid. Somebody recording it. It was pretty funny. Kyle laughed. I laughed. We yeah. all laughed. You have People to laugh. The Mazet Airport felt terrible. <laughs> and uh, 
could have led to some uh, some really good litigation. Yeah. But, uh, not really litigious. No. Anyway, so, despite the reputation of being litigious or not. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm uh, a long way from uh, Masset and a long way from Castlegar, and there are mosquitoes here. Plenty of them. Well, uh, don't complain, because I am here in Vancouver, 8.15 at night, still working. So... And I've been up since uh, 7 o'clock this morning. Brandon Moscow of the office and, and I went to a a view from the bench breakfast event that started at uh, 7.15 uh, with a BC Supreme Court judge giving a lecture to a very small group. It was very informative. But we're not here to talk about our days, Paul. It's driving law. It's we're driving. here to talk about driving. We're here to talk about driving. And I don't know if you've been paying attention since you've been in the mountains, but they finally... Yeah, I've, I've zoned out. i zoned out. Finally. Tell me. They have released all of the regulations that are going to surround Uber. So now we know more <sighs> than Class 4 licenses. <sighs> I know. So not just Uber. I mean ride sharing. Yeah, any ride sharing. Yeah. So, okay, so tell me what they are. I want to know. Well, uh, I mean, the biggest one that I think people were worried about was whether there was going to be caps on fleet size, because we already have a hard enough time getting taxis because there just aren't enough taxis for all the people that need to take them. And yeah. the answer Leaks is... the arrogant taxi drivers. Well, yeah. And, and I know, you know, the taxi lobby really wanted caps because they didn't mm -hmm. want to be outflanked by the number of rideshare vehicles. Of course. But they did not get their wish. So no caps. No caps. Um, Cap-free. Yeah. Cap-free system. Interesting, because I listened to a really great interview, and you can find it online, with Mike Smith, who was guest hosting the Simi Sarah show, and Mike Farnworth, um, who has previously been a guest on this podcast, uh, Solicitor General for British Columbia. And he said that he was on the side of caps. Um, but the position from the... Um, the who is it? Like the... Um, just like a, a recommendation by an, like a in like board that investigates some this. board, yeah, transportation yeah. board. That's the one. The transportation board said that it would be um, if you put caps on, it would be too difficult to remove them later. Which to me actually seems really counterintuitive, because you'd think if you don't put caps on, how do you walk that back? You have an unlimited fleet size, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, actually, we're going to cap it at 800 vehicles. There's 1,200 out there, so we've just got to revoke 400 licenses? No, I think you could cap it by a percent. You could say you got to cut your you know, Uber or Lyft. You have to cut your percent, the number of vehicles you've got out there, by 10% or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, that I, puts I, from those... my perspective, I, I don't want to see a cap because... I, I want to see more competition, as much competition as possible is the point out there. I want people out there ready to pick me up when I want to be picked up. Yes. Now, speaking of competition, there are also going to be all sorts of regulations and restrictions around price. Um, and that's one that's got a lot of people upset. Um, and there's a real lack of clarity about what, uh, what this means. So the pricing they have determined that the flag rate must be the same as taxis. So they can't, they can't do the flag rate for any less than a taxi does it. And um, they also, um, they also uh, indicate that uh, the flaxies, uh, flaxies, the taxis, um, uh, the taxis, uh, um, Ubers can't charge less through using coupons or discounts or in-app, you know, things. Oh, oh, 
Oh, well, that was the whole point of Uber. Well, that's what I thought, too. That was the whole point of Uber. That's what I thought. I thought, well, if I'm going to pay the same as in a cab, like, where's the benefit to me? In a flaxy? In in Um, taking, yeah. Where's the benefit to me in taking an Uber from Vancouver to Whistler? Getting in and not having to pay at the end because it's just is built to you, but that's, that is, like, that's not going to last. Well, I, and again... Last. That's the whole point is, like, the but, whole point is to have the competition. Yes, but Paul, this is where people don't understand the difference. And when you actually look at the, the regulations that have been put into place now, and what the term flag rate is defined as, that's not the per kilometer rate. The flag what rate is, is just your initial hire rate. So, like, if you oh, stand so on the street corner, five or whatever you get in, I think it's like three ten now or something. It's ludicrous. Whatever. But yeah, that has to be the same. But after that, the per price of a pack of smokes when I was nineteen years old. <laughs> I was just reading about the, the cost of a I pack of cigarettes now. Anyway, I have no idea what they cost now, but that was two fifty five when I was. I think they're close to twenty dollars now. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Um, cheap, cheaper than a taxi. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, Might yeah. as well smoke your way home. So you're going to uh, have to pay your three, $3 and whatever, but then after that, they can do their surge pricing so they can have it higher per kilometer uh, than taxis okay, okay. or they can have it lower per kilometer than taxis. So, Well, getting more cars out there is good, and it's flexibility for people, especially people who are working one job and not making enough to make ends meet and in the evening want to... You know, drive around in an Uber. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like me. <laughs> it's an ongoing joke, folks. If you want to listen to previous podcasts of Driving Law, you'll find out that Kyla is secretly planning on driving an Uber, despite the fact that she already works 12 hours a day. Yes. Lawyering. Yes. Um, anyway, so that's another thing. Now, pickup zones. Yeah. Three big things oh, yeah. about the pickup zones. Airport, First of all. About the airport. Airport. I want to know about the airport. Well, airport, airport, airport. I want to know about the airport, too. But they didn't yeah. say anything about the airport. Yeah, there is them. no, like... I want to know about the airport, the whole point of it. N- yeah. And there's no yes super at the airport. It's just airport silence. Hmm. Yeah, I know. What they have said is... Cruise- well, I mean, the airport can make some decisions about it, I guess. They get to regulate their space there. Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure they will. You know, uh, you and I have traveled enough uh, places. And Castle Gar. <laughs> outside of and British Braille. Columbia. Um, yeah, massive. And, and outside of BC. Um, we've, uh, you know, Alberta, uh, Ottawa. I've been to Alberta. Yeah. I'm from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've been to Ottawa. We've been, we went to Ottawa like three times. Yeah, Montreal for conferences. Um yeah, we go lots of places. Anyway, the... Um, I suppose we do. And when we've gone to Uber at airports in all of those cities, it seems to be that the airports have sorted out some type of designated pickup zones. If you want to pick some up... sort of miserable, dedicated pickup zone, Yeah, yes. we have to wander t- through tunnels and channels and take yeah. a ferry across the River Styx, yeah. and eventually you find the Uber. Count uh, the number of tears I've shed before the Uber yeah. spaces. But... Still faster than standing in line at Vancouver Airport for the taxis. No, it's ridiculous. I landed once a little while ago. I can't remember where the hell I was coming from, but I landed and uh, uh, maybe it was flying home from Germany. And I looked at the taxi line, and the taxi line was probably an hour wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up taking one of those limos and paying an extra ten dollars more. I felt like you know pretty important, but ten bucks. <laughs> also, the 10 price. Bucks. The price difference with the limo, depending on where you're going, is not that much more. 
No, I don't. For all the time you save. No, and if you've got a number of people, take the limo. Yeah. Anyway, but back to Uber. Back to so, Uber. So um, they are yeah. restricting pickups around the cruise ship terminal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I knew this was coming. I heard some rumor about this, that they wanted to uh, protect the taxi's monopoly of the cruise ship terminal, and that was a bit of a... No, Paul, it's all about congestion. Yeah, so they were... The, this was a... The, um, this was the uh, little uh, white flag that they gave to the taxi agency. This was their... their we're going to throw you a bone uh, yes. with a string on it that we can pull back. Is the... For now, you can't get an Uber at the at the uh, uh, cruise ship terminal. And they're so also that happened. Yeah, that happened. That okay. did happen. And they are also restricting um, pickup zones, like as far as uh, you know, like if you have a, a, a Sir Dale cab, it can't pick you up in Vancouver. Um, Uber's got larger or, or ride sharing, I guess, has larger zones, so that they can you can go basically anywhere from Vancouver to Whistler. Um, and then there's uh, past there is a, a different zone, and then there's the Okanagan and the Kootenays is a zone. Um, Northern BC is a zone, so there is some restriction, but Lower Mainland is basically all one thing. Going to be interesting to see it play out. I mm-hmm. got to, you know, on the one hand, I typically criticize government, and I've been not overly critical of the NDP. Uh, you know, at least they've done it. Like the Liberals did, they go. What, um, what? But they've been blaming the NDP for having not done it so far. I know, but at least they came up with something, and it sounds like they thought it out. I, you know, I may not agree with it if I was on the other end of defending somebody dealing with this, but uh, they, you know, just get it on. So, yeah. what's the what's the date? When does this thing? What's the triggering date? It's supposed know? to be September sometime. Sometime. Sometime well, in September. Yes, I'm I'm sorry. I can't check. You've got a computer in front of you. You should know. Well, I don't know. It'll be in September. Um, See you in September. See you when the summer's through. I've been singing a song on almost every podcast, and I've really been hoping that I'd be discovered. Well, um, if America's Got Talent is listening, they are not liking what they hear. Not liking what they hear. <laughs> no. Maybe they're just waiting and maybe they're just waiting and collecting enough information to be able to offer me the you know, the big money. Maybe. Um, you can dream. Um, anyway. Let's move on. Moving, Topic two. Moving Uber. on. Topic on. two. Um, you uh, are aware of this. Uh, a, a worthwhile topic. It's and that's property crime in Vancouver. You're, I know that you're in the Richmond office, uh, and the other day I had my uh, my old Chevy pickup truck parked out in front, and I went pulling up, and there was some guy who was sizing it up to break into it, and it set his drink down, like his, his McDonald's cup or whatever, on the back of my box, and I beeped at him, and uh, he didn't remove his drink, and I pulled off, and I said, get your damn drink off my truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was sizing it up to break in. We've had some break-ins there. Yes. Um, I, you know, there's property crime in the lower main. I know people don't think that. My car is has to wait a week for new glass because I got broken into on the weekend. Yeah. See, I would have taped it up with a piece of polyethylene, then you would have been just fine. There's an old Toyota pickup or a Toyota 4Runner in my parkade. Guy's been driving around with a piece of plastic on there for like six months. Duct tape and plastic. You'd be fine with that. Yeah, but I didn't want to. Um, no. And I didn't have polyethylene, and I ran out of tape. 
I know. I tried. Tape shorter than the office. I tried. I, mean, I looked around and like just we're down to our last roll of packing tape. Not enough for you. Anyway, so when this happened, not only was my car violated by this, you know, jerk who smashes the window, but smash smashy window jerk face also left behind a healthy dose of DNA by not wiping his blood off my car. Well, I don't wouldn't have expected him to wipe his blood off the car. I'm hoping that he was bleeding enough that maybe it will be a deterrent for next time. But yeah, you had a bunch of blood on the inside of your car. Yeah, and this is the thing that bothers me about that, is that, you know, we have this terrible problem with property crime in Vancouver. In my case, there was evidence connecting, you know, uncontrovertible DNA evidence connecting the thief to the crime. Um, or would-be thief. They never stole anything. Um, and and the VPD refused to come investigate. Well, the worst part about that, from my perspective, is that we've got the DNA database in Canada mm-hmm. and almost guaranteed that person's in the DNA database. Break and enter so is a secondary connection. designated offense. I yep. looked it up, <laughs> just to Got be sure. Before, almost guaranteed he's been arrested before. DNA is there right in your car. It's clear. It's evidence. It's not anybody else's blood. It's the person who smashed the fucking window. Yeah. Um, and there it is right there on your door, and BPD will not do anything. Yeah. And, I, you know, I phoned, I phoned BPD when my window was broken. You remember that? I was like, yeah, uh, it was September there. 26th. Um, yeah, we had a bunch of files we had to prepare for the next day. So went into the office for one hour, and there I come out, my window's broken. And phone BPD, and they almost laugh at you, like it's like, oh, really? Your your car had a smash and grab. Yeah, I know. I, I thought t- it was I... parked in front of the Staples on Broadway in the middle of the day about fifteen years ago. <laughs> he went in, he put a dime in the meter, <clears throat> gave him ten minutes. At the time, came out, he's had seven minutes left, and his fucking window was broken in his Volvo. Anyway. It's ridiculous, but I don't yeah. like you know. I, I get it if if it's just a a, a smashed window and you've got a, a period of time where it, you know, where it happened and you're not going to be able to identify who did it and there's no video surveillance. Yeah, okay, don't come investigate because what are you going to get? But here you've got DNA. There's an actual camera in the parkade where I parked my car that points directly at my car. I found this out from the parkade company. They won't even come review the video surveillance. They say, no, we don't have time to go look at video surveillance. You're going to have to get the video and send it to us. On an individual level, I, I have great appreciation for a, a huge number of BPD officers who I've dealt with. But when I look at the organization and I think of the way that they make bureaucratic decisions, mm-hmm. I often think that we as citizens of the city get fucked. And it's and not this just is one of those circumstances where I, I it's just infuriating to me when there's there's blood all over your door. Yeah. And you know that that DNA has been collected. Like, why did those judges? I'm standing in court with people who are like, you know, there's a guilty plea and there's a sentencing at the end. And the judge orders a DNA, makes a DNA order. And you think to yourself, this guy's never going to get in trouble again. But then you're watching these other people. And you're thinking, oh, okay, well, they're collecting their DNA. They'll be able to do something with it down the road if the guy goes and, say, breaks into a car by smashing a window. Yeah, no, pretty much. no, there's no point. What's the point of the DNA database? I guess in case they commit a sex crime where they leave behind Well, a murder. Sex crime or murder. That's it. That's the only time. 
So, you know, useful to have DNA samples from dangerous drivers for that purpose. Um, yeah, anyway, exactly. I, I want to tell you why I think this relates to driving law. It doesn't just have to do with the really tangential connection of it's my car and the window got broken. It's because of the concept of deterrence. Because the government is always hailing the, the IRP scheme and praising it as a big deterrent in cutting down drinking and driving numbers, even though you and I talked last week about why that's basically just a big old lie and why recent statistics from this summer even prove that. But the reason that the IRP scheme and, and impaired driving enforcement has largely been successful, we saw a decline over Christmas, for example, has been because of the perception by the public that they're going to get caught. If property crime out there, huge spikes in it. I looked at the statistics and it's literally like up by 10,000 over five years ago. 10,000 more crimes in Vancouver in the last five years. If that's how much it's spiking, why not make people have the perception they'll get caught by investigating it and catching the obvious ones like the guy who broke into my car or lady who broke into my car and left behind a DNA sample. It was a guy. Yeah, was um, a no, your, your point is uh, absolutely, 100%. Um, you know, I just, uh, we're defense lawyers. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we don't want the law to be upheld. Nope. Um, doesn't mean I don't want the, you know, criminals to be caught and charged and prosecuted. Yep. Uh, but we're talking about property crimes, which affects a significant number of people. And when they get away with it once, they get away with it again and again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're looking for certain things that are quick defense, but, you know, they smash a window. When they smash the window in my truck, uh, you know, it's $600 for that window. And they took about $4 and change probably. Yep, and the, the, the cost-benefit analysis for the society and the, and the ICBC, you know, ICBC paid most of it. I paid $300. Um, you know, that came out of the, the rest of the people who are insured. Uh, you know, there's just no, def no deterrent effect. And I don't know what the DPD are doing. No, we had this um, years ago, you know, when they had a huge spike in car thefts in Vancouver and everybody was saying I don't like my car getting stolen and it's really expensive with our socialist insurance company to keep paying for replacement cars they started the bait car program and they had all these bait cars and all this signage and you even still see them driving around those big vans that say steal a car you'll get caught um, and bait cars are they still out bait there cars. no they're they still out bait there cars. they're still out there yeah well the, the cars that are stolen are old Hondas. Yeah. Well, right. Everybody else, it's a, there's a chip in there. You can't start the car and can't steal it. It's almost impossible to steal unless you've got the keys. But or they're unless, not doing anything about breaking windows. Yeah, they're not doing like, anything I, about I know, breaking windows. They're not doing anything about, like, minor property crime, and that's costing people money. Yeah. And when you posted that on Twitter that your window was broken, there was a bunch of people who came out, like, were tweeting at me directly after I retweeted it. Yeah, it happens to me. It's happened to, like, 12 people in my business around here. Um, you know, some people were talking about the new social housing that's been built a little bit further down uh, Beatty Street between Canby and Beatty, just on the other side of, uh, in the parking lot there, um, just off Georgia. I blamed the uh, people who, uh, who are um, building that building because they kicked out the Catholic uh, diocese or the Catholic diocese moved out. They were supporting people who were in need, and now those people have nowhere to go. Well, I blame the guy who tried to break in, who smashed my window, and I blame the guy who smashed your window. Yeah, that guy's a jerk. 
Anyway, enforcement of property crime would uh, create the perception that people would get caught and we can learn from the IRP scheme. So if there are any people who are in any decision-making power over this in VPD listening, and I like to think that maybe there are, um, think about maybe changing your approach to property crime. Ultimately, it will save your taxpayers more money and it will make a happier community. And don't you want to police happy people? I, you know, thinking about it, I've been like six times my, I've been a victim of somebody breaking into my car. Yeah, well, one was, only one was my fault. And they, but they're all in like Vancouver, Richmond. And it never happened, it happened to me once in Edmonton. Um, somebody sliced a soft top of my MGB to get nothing. Oh. Um, but that was, you know, I lived there until I was 32. This is ridiculous. I'm just going to sit in the backseat of my car with a pellet gun. Anybody comes up, oh, no, pop them. Okay, and everybody who is listening, Paul Dorshenko is joking. <laughs> or I'm sitting in the backseat of my car, so don't break in. Uh, just uh, uttering threats there. Um, okay, moving on. I wanted to talk to you about um, the decision that was announced today, official support from Mike Farnworth and the provincial government for the Surrey RCMP's transition to the Surrey police. Yeah, I saw the headlines. I mean, I was on Twitter today. I was deep in the woods, but I was on Twitter. Of course you were. I got, I got two bars, three bars here. Oh, there you go. It used to be nothing. <laughs> um, anyway, what, what does this mean for Surrey Traffic Services? Because they have a whole very dedicated traffic section in Surrey RCMP. Um, they also have the Dees Island Highway Patrol who share their building and facilities with Surrey RCMP. What's going to happen? Where does Dees Island go? Because they're going to be out. They're no longer Northern going to be Saskatchewan. tenants. They're going to descend yeah. to Northern Saskatchewan, Northern Manitoba. Yep. Those guys better be ready for it. Yeah, but but no, then nobody's going to police the Dees Island traffic zone? Um, no, I mean, they're going to hire a bunch of young new recruits who've gone through the Justice, Justice Institute out in New West. No, I mean, but and, like uh, the Dees Island RCMP is not getting disbanded. Only Surrey RCMP is, but where are the Dees Island people going to camp? Are they uh, going to set we'll up get, shop? We'll get a Winnebago. <laughs> I mean, they will manage one way or another. I just the uh, there has to be a capacity to be able to switch from the RCMP to something else, right? You know, it's easy to accept the RCMP as your police force uh, and have them sign on. It's kind of a no-brainer. Um, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to stick with the RCMP. I understand people's desire to stick with the RCMP in Surrey, and I, I have to tell you, I think they've actually been really, really well serviced by the RCMP. You and I mm-hmm. both deal with Surrey RCMP officers regularly, and they've been really well serviced. But, I mean, it's a democracy. They voted for a city government that said, we're going to create our own police force. I don't quite think the people who were making those decisions understood that criminal law is a federal issue and that... Um, you know, the RCMP are really quite skilled and capable of handling it. Mm-hmm. It's really an issue of resources. Uh, but, you know, Nelson has its own police force. Delta has its own police force. West Vancouver has its own police force. I mean, there's all these different jurisdictions in the province which have their own police force. This is going to happen. It's happening now. But what about the transition the... will be interesting. But I, I'm more concerned about what's going to happen to the Surrey RCMP traffic section, because I don't think that the Surrey government 
the municipal government of Surrey, has thought about what traffic enforcement is going to require and look like when you have that many fewer officers. Because we know they're saying, oh, we're not going to need as many people for mental health, or we're not going to need as many people for these things. They're quickly going to learn that they're wrong. And that no, they're they'll... wrong about all of that. They're, they're wrong about all of that, but they're going to pull them out of traffic. Well, they'll have, you know, they will lead to deaths, and then there'll be some, some outcry about the fact that people are driving like assholes in Surrey, and then they will have to put their money back into traffic. Yeah. And they'll have a bunch of officers who are not particularly well-trained, and you'll walk all over them in traffic court. I hope so. <laughs> well, you, you already do, I mean, but it's... The, hey, I trained at the Surrey RCMP uh, recently, so... Well, maybe the um, new Surrey police force will call you in to train them. They should, if they're to, smart. I'm happy, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I haven't trained... I don't think I've ever trained the police. Oh. Only at traffic court when I've talked to them and explained to them what they need to do. That's, yeah. But you've trained the police. You trained the police in, uh, like, Squamish, North Vancouver, Whistler, and Poco, and Surrey, and yep. all over the place. Yep. But did they learn so much that you're losing now in traffic court as a consequence? No. Of course not. Of course not. Well, I mean, you know, there's only, the teacher's got lots of information in their head. They can only do so much to impart that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's also, like, I think... After the training, a, a mutual respect that's that's developed that helps. You know, a lot of times the officers that want to take things to trial don't want to take things to trial because they're particularly committed to the ticket. They want to take things to trial because they don't understand me. And they think, mm. you know, defense lawyer equals bad guy. And then they realize, yep. oh, you know, she just wants to make sure everything's done properly so that the justice system functions fairly. Gosh, that's what I want, too. Because if I do things properly, I'll secure a good conviction, and I'll feel good about it. That's falling back on the procedure argument. Yeah. You know how angry I get about the procedure argument. I know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I think I, it... I don't, get, I don't get that angry. There you go, you just heard me being angry. <laughs> angry, so I guess. Uh, yeah, that's... But no, I, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, you talk to them, and they understand, and there's much less um, vitriol thrown your way for being a defense lawyer when they recognize that your job is just to make sure that things are done correctly and chances are they issued the wrong ticket. Yeah, unlike the people on Twitter who, after my car got broken into, said, I can't believe you want this guy to get arrested. What would you think if he hired a defense lawyer who to represent him in court? I was like, I hope people he gets a defense lawyer to represent him in court because it's a really hard, you know, situation otherwise and he yeah. deserves to be represented, <laughs> like. Yeah. And his DNA is there. And his and good lawyer luck. will tell him good to plead guilty because his DNA is on my car. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. So you think that it's going to be just fine? They're going to enforce. No, it. I don't think it's going to be just fine. I think it's going to be a shit show. Um. I think it's going to be a nightmare. I think the transition from the RCMP to uh, Surrey Municipal Detachment is going to cost them a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, they they're not going to put the emphasis on uh, traffic and they're going to see some... I mean, I'll tell you, we've noticed it. We've, we've, we've recognized it. We've harped on it on this program. It seems almost self-serving to some people, but the reality is that enforcement reduces people driving badly. We know it. It's studied. It's, you know, it, public enforcement works. No enforcement, people drive badly. Mm-hmm. There's, lots, there's lots of people who just are not socialized such that they will, you know, 
drive well if they if they think there's no enforcement. And when you're going to see very light enforcement after there's a you know new Surrey traffic, um, you know unless they hire a bunch of the old traffic guys back from RCMP for the Surrey detachment, we're going to see you know somebody will die. You know there'll be a few tragic accidents, and then people will be wondering why the hell they made this decision to uh, to dump the RCMP. Yep. Okay. But in the long run, it might work out. It might. You know. I'll wait and see. Might be cheaper. And I look forward to a fresh batch of young, eager faces. Fresh-faced young, young police officers issuing tickets. And, and I look forward it right. to the look of disappointment as the acquittals are entered in court. <laughs> That's so, like, mean and cynical. Uh, yeah, well, but you're lovely to them in court. Mm-hmm. Up until... I had a JP ask me, you know, why I was so decent to this one police officer after I'd been so mean to the previous one like the day before. You know, I didn't think I was being mean. I was just doing my job. Yeah. But anyway. That's how it goes. Uh, So speaking of, of driving on the Driving Law podcast, it's come to that special time that we get to every week where we talk about our ridiculous driver of the week. Ridiculous cyclist of the week this week. It is a ridiculous cyclist of the week. You you correctly guessed it. Um, so this week uh, we have an accident involving a Vancouver Police Department van, um, one of their paddy wagons. Dodge uh, Sprinter. Yeah. Yeah. That they drive around, and a cyclist who on his BMX uh, bike comes out of nowhere, doesn't stop, doesn't even have any brakes on the bike apparently. And goes right out into traffic, um, swerves into the middle well, of comes the down lane. Like a stairwell over a sidewalk into the lane and is struck by the police van. Yes. Sorry for cutting you off. Mansplaining what happened. Yes, thank you. On my own podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, struck by the police van. Lives to tell about it, thankfully. Cause it's, if, how, there's... how old was he? Any idea? Um, he probably, I'm just like completely guessing here, but probably millennial age based on his post on uh, Reddit in which he took complete responsibility for his idiocy. Okay. Um, he said, I'm an idiot and used a bunch of emojis. So I would guess like 26. Yeah. Well, he is an idiot. Yeah. Totally an idiot. Uh, put a lot of people at risk. And and this has sparked some crazy debate on Twitter. It is still going. Like, every time I log into my Twitter, I've got 14 new notifications. And it's people arguing about this cyclist. Um, you know, which makes me feel both very popular and unpopular because I'm not even a part of the discussion. Nor do I want to wade into what it is right now. But um, people are very passionate about whether or not this guy's an idiot and whether or not cyclists should be licensed. And... Uh, surprises me we could do like five podcasts on cycling uh if we wanted to be retweeted with hate from like extreme cyclists um the uh the uh there's all these cyclists who don't believe just like the you know certain cannabis people don't believe that there should be any regulation whatsoever of cyclists i should be able to cross over five lanes i'm pedaling my bike and using my own energy not grabbing the gas i'm saving the Uh, planet yeah exactly i should be able to you know smash my my uh, pump into my hand pump into your fender anytime you're you know within three feet of me. Um, I should be able to run every red light and stop. Um, 
when I'm on a bike, I like I feel a sense of entitlement, and I've talked to other people who do it too. And you know, I'm, I drive a lot more than obviously than I'm riding on my bike, but it's a strange thing. Somebody should investigate that and study it. Yes. Um, the, um, probably just by you know making these few comments on the uh, Driving Law podcast, I will be you know, subject to a hundred angry tweets from cyclists. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. There's, like, a debate that's delved into fake news because a reporter tried to jump in with some pro-cycling statistics and people are hashtagging it fake news. It's become quite quite violent. It's very surprising to see how one cyclist's admitted idiotic behavior and my original tweet criticizing him for riding like an idiot um, has led to so much hate. Yeah. I don't know what's going no, on. No, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. People are just willing to express this sort of level of anger, this self, you know, the so uh, angry, feeling self-justified thing going on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but uh, if you have not watched the video, I highly recommend watching it, uh, if only to watch the guy get up after getting struck uh, quite hard by the VPD van, apparently not badly injured at all, thankfully. Um, and to remind yourself, if you are a cyclist, that what you do does have the power to affect uh, other road users, including ones that are much bigger than you. Um, and that uh, even though you're small, it doesn't mean you don't pose a risk. And, uh, you know, I watch the video every time I watch it, I think, if that VPD officer had made the decision to swerve instead of striking the cyclist, this could have been very different. It could have been a multi-car accident with serious injuries. Yep. And just looking at the the trauma for the driver. Yeah. I mean, that VPD officer is probably going to spend the rest of his life having fucking nightmares about that incident. Well, they said that the um, driver was traumatized by this. No, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you know, it's the the righteous indignation of um, of the guy on the bike there, basically. I mean, maybe not him, but... It is a concern. People need to think about their attitudes towards cyclists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a problem. I mean, cyclists need to think about their attitudes of, you know, riding their bike. Anytime Ian Tutil tweets anything that seems remotely not supportive of cyclists, he ends up with fifteen thousand angry tweets back at him. Yes. Um, keep everything in perspective. I say. Yep, and remember that even as a cyclist, if you are a cyclist, you still have obligations under Section 144 of the Motor Vehicle Act to drive with due care and attention, uh, or ride with due care and attention, and to uh, ride with reasonable consideration for other road users. So you are statutorily obligated to do that, regardless of the fact that you don't need a license and you don't need insurance, you still have a duty to your fellow citizens. So, Hey, Kyla. Yeah? Can I go back to the campfire now? Yes, we're done. Yay! You can go back to the campfire. I hope you get bit by a mosquito. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Rubbing it in. That's a, that's a nice way to think about an altruistic view towards other humans on the planet. <laughs> yeah, well, it fit right in, I right? I wish a mosquito bite to anybody. <laughs> You're oh, just God. like, I'm, you know, here Are I am. Are you a cyclist now? Yeah, yeah, you're a cyclist, exactly. Um, okay, yes, Paul, go back to your campfire. Uh, but before you go, please remind people, how can they get in touch with us? 
Well, there's a couple of ways. You can phone us, 604-685-8889. That's the office number. There's uh, IRP, at IRP Lawyer, is Kylo on Twitter, and I'm at Paul Doroshenko on Twitter. And also there's VancouverCriminalLaw.com. If you Google Kyla Lee, don't Google Kayla Lee or Kaylee at Acumen or something like that. Kyla, K-Y-L-A, last name L-E-E. You'll find her. You'll find her website, kylalee.ca. You'll find the Acumen Law website, Vancouver Criminal Law, and she will be able to help you with pretty much anything related to driving law. All right. Well, tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 